Hello, and welcome to Returning to Us, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to hack your brain, build and strengthen relationships, and to teach people how to recognize and neutralize their emotional states. I'll discuss emotional intelligence and regulation, how food and exercise impact the body and brain, and share lessons from my own lived experiences. I'm Lauren Spiegelmeyer, the founder of The Behavior Hub, which is an organization that works to reduce the stressors of raising and educating children through a brain and biology-based lens. In these episodes, I'll share stories and strategies from my own life, work, and research, answer listener questions, and wrap it up with a try-it-at-home tip. Decades worth of information in just minutes. You ready? those of you who have been here for the last two episodes, you'll know that we are talking about room design with the brain in mind. So how does the way we design a room, a classroom, a workspace impact our productivity, our attention, all of those things? We've talked about sound. We've talked about color. Today, we are talking about smell. So have you ever been out for a walk or been somewhere and you smelled something that really triggered a memory? And triggered some strong emotions that memory, good or bad. So maybe it was something like an event that you had forgotten or something from your childhood. I mean, I think the association is often made with like smelling cookies and having memories of working with your grandmother or mother to make cookies for the holidays or whatever it may be. But smell has such a strong hold on our, our brains or a strong connection to our brains. And, and what, what happens here is that the smell really travels up into your nose, into your olfactory nerve, and it, it taps into your memory system and, uh, your brain rings up or kind of finds that memory and that can really elicit a strong response, good or bad. So a lot of connection between smells and your stress response and the way your brain works. So there is this strong unconscious connection between certain smells and memory recall. Because scents are really powerful tools in terms of how they affect our emotions and therefore our behaviors. So let's do a little bit of time travel here because I'm sure some of you have experienced this. Ancient Egypt, they practiced aromatherapy for their physical and psychological well-being. They used a lot of essential oils. So does so do places like India and Indonesia, like jasmine and peppermint and lavender um, to do different things to the body, to wake you up, to calm you down, to heal pain. So essential oils have been used for therapeutic purposes to wake up the mind or to heal the body. I mean, herbal he- healing has been around for eons and that can be herbs associated to smell or topical or ones that you ingest. Um, but they're, they're very powerful. And that's why things like candles and incense and diffusers uh, are often used by people and why we all have different responses to different smells. I can, I can honestly tell you there, are, I didn't recognize it for a long time, but there would be candles or, or diffusers or something incense that would smell very like woodsy, like sandalwood or cedarwood, pine. And whenever I was around those scents, I would always feel so chill, just so calm, but I never really associated the calm with those particular woodsy scents. I have now learned that those smells really calm me down and they're shown and, and 
and researched to be that way. So I naturally buy candles or incense or oils that are of the wood family. So how can this same effect be harnessed to benefit us and our productivity and kids learning and emotions in the classroom? Let's talk about it. Um, how can we add sense to our homes, our days, our classrooms? Get creative, have fun, and be aware of allergies. <laughs> Those are the big ones. And do your research. Figure out what smells do, what scents do different things um, so that you're using the right scent at the right time. You'd be surprised at how educational and fun and interesting this process may be for you. And you learn a thing or two that you can share with your kids. So there are four ways I recommend introducing scents into your home or your classroom. Getting a diffuser, possibly scented candles if they're safe enough, real plants, and I can't remember the fourth one. <laughs> I will have to ponder that for a moment and I know it will come back to me, but it's leaving my mind right now. So I will come back to it. Oh, I know. Essential oils, uh, but not necessarily in the diffusing type, maybe like um, topically. Um, and you wouldn't necessarily be able to do that in a classroom because of allergies, but for yourself and for kids in your own home, you, you could do like a spray bottle or you could put it on your skin if it were um, FDA approved or safe to do so. So that is the fourth one. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about each of these. Um, Diffuser is essentially just, it's a way to disperse scents with water. Some of not, the higher end diffusers don't use water, but essentially put water in this diffuser that you can buy very cheaply anywhere on Amazon, whatever, um, any local herbal stores might have them. And you put just a few drops of concentrated essential oil. Essential oil is just the oils uh, concentrated taken out of plants. So maybe peppermint plant. Peppermint oil goes in that water a few drops, you turn on the diffuser, it diffuses it up into the air, you smell peppermint in the room, peppermint is shown to wake you up, make you more alert. So that is one way you can do that. Um, the fun thing about diffusers is they come in all different shapes and sizes and forms, and there are some waterless ones. I actually have a travel electronic one. It is like the size of maybe a lemon and it's rechargeable battery. It has this little tiny uh, like foam sheet that goes inside of it. And that's where you drop the oils and then you turn it on and a fan blows out the oils. So it doesn't last quite as long as a water diffuser, but it is a travel one and it is rechargeable. So there are lots of different types of diffusers. Another option is scented candles. And again, this one more for classrooms because you can have fire in a classroom, but you could use them in your home. Um, so my biggest thing here is if you're going to use this type, I would look for clean candles. What are clean candles? They are natural, organic, toxin-free. So look for candles that are made from vegetable wax. So things like soy or beeswax, non-GMO, um, and make sure that the wick is cotton, preferably organic cotton, because think about, um, when you burn that, you are also ingesting that. So if there are artificial things being burnt, they're going up into the air and you're taking them into your body and that's no good for your body. So I typically go for um, 
like a beeswax or a soy and brands like Mr. Myers are, are decent, but even some more hyper-local options are better and then you can support small businesses. Um, if your school, uh, if you can have candles, something else, and you can have a diffuser, don't have a diffuser, don't want a diffuser, you could do a spray bottle. And I actually do this at night. I have this little glass spray bottle and it has chamomile, lavender, frankincense, and possibly tea tree. And it's water in the spray bottle with a, just a couple drops of all of those essential oils. And I spray it on my pillow before I go to sleep. And those scents are really known for calming and helping with um, like relaxing your body and going to sleep. So similar to that, you could use that in a school setting. You could spray uh, some oils around the room before kids come in or when they come in from recess or during study times, whatever it may be. And you can make those yourself. But remember about the toxins above uh, essential oils. The, the brands I really love are Young Living and doTERRA. They're both FDA approved. Um, I'm very mindful where I buy my oils from because if you invest in a cheap set or don't invest in a set, a good set, um, you are again ingesting those things or they are in your, your space. So try to be mindful of where you're getting them and the quality of them. Also, I really try to avoid plastic <laughs> because you're spraying that and again, you're ingesting that. So I try and stick with glass, but I know it's not great for classrooms, but if you have a glass bottle with like a, a rubber covering on it and it's not so bad and the smaller ones aren't so bad if they're, they're dropped, they usually don't break. Um, but the problem is that the plastic, um, the chemicals can absorb into the product and then you spray the product and then you've got all of those things like, you know, that well-known competent BP, BPA. <laughs> So if you get a plastic bottle, at least get BPA free. Better for the environment too. All right, plants. So lots and lots of plants and a natural way to bring uh, scents into the classroom in the form of flowers and herbs. You can even grow them yourself. Uh, you can even grow them and use them for some medicinal purposes too. Like rosemary is great for food. That's uh, also got some healing benefits. You can grow lavender and jasmine and hanging pots. Or depending on where you live, you could even plant a lemon tree. So here are some scents that are scientifically proven to increase productivity. Lavender. It's often used for anxiety treatments and shown to calm the nervous system. Also shown to elevate moods and help people to feel more positive or in a more positive emotional state. Um, not what you wanna use when you wanna be super, super active. It's amazing to use in like preschool classrooms with really rowdy, loud rooms. <laughs> Or like at those times when kids come back and they're rowdy. All right, lemon um, enhances your kind of mental and physical, really citrus in general enhances mental and physical performance. So I might throw a couple drops of like orange or lemon uh, on my palm or something and just smell it. Uh, maybe I'll do like lemon and peppermint and that kind of like wakes me up. Great for like creative projects and during exam times. And you can Again, maybe grow a lemon tree, who knows? Depends on where you're at. Rosemary, shown to improve your kind of cognitive thinking and your memory as well. So you can eat rosemary. I use rosemary on a lot of my foods. Um, you can grow it. And um, it really helps to increase the speed and accuracy and processing too. So that's kind of why the memorization factor comes in there. 
you easily grow that in windowsill. And the smell is pretty strong, especially when you like touch it with your fingers and get those oils that they use for the essential oils off of the plant and you smell it. Mm, so good. Jasmine, like lavender, is a powerful, calming plant. And um, it, it's relatively cheap and kind of easy to grow. So it's a natural healing herb. So you can uh, grow that. Um, it's great to have like in a principal's office or a main office or a nurse's office, places where there's maybe a little bit more high stress, just to neutralize those emotional states. A few others, cinnamon, um, we know we use that a lot for seasoning, um, but stimulates attention and stimulates brain activity. And um, it's great during like general classroom lectures, discussions, um, teachings, maybe even study times. Um, especially if you uh, have those, those, you can have sticks or you can have oils or whatever it may be, but students seem to respond pretty well unless it's like very strong artificial cinnamon. So don't let that be too overpowering. Peppermint, we talked about improves alertness, therefore improves memory. So a great one to have nearby um, when you want kids to concentrate or when you want to concentrate. Uh, I will often do like peppermint lavender when I'm getting ready to take flight because it just makes me alert, but also like calms my nervous system. I really like those two together. Maybe a little bit of frankincense in there too, but one worth having around. And much like lemon, I talked about orange and citrus. Um, it's lively orange and you can use it really all the time. It just kind of brightens the mood and brightens the energy and reduces stress and anxiety. Um, so I like to keep orange around. I use orange quite a bit. So orange, orange would be great for like a school counselor's office. Again, just bright, warm energy. And think about you know, orange is kind of associated with, with warm, brings warm energy, colors have wavelengths, as we talked about in the last episode. Orange, similar scent has that warming effect. So if you've been looking for ways to promote productivity for yourself or your kids or improve relaxation or attentiveness or alertness, try introducing some of these different scents. But be mindful that some kids may have allergies or be sensitive to smells or certain smells. So being open and honest with families, if you're using the classroom to make sure there aren't any allergies and seeing how kids respond to them and changing them based on how kids respond. And getting their input too. Let them have a say. Let them vote on which they like and don't like. And that takes us to today's listener question, which is, do you have any helpful strategies for dealing with students who have ODD type behaviors in a school setting? Yes, uh, ODD, oppositional defiant disorder, tells me that a child needs control. So I always go back to behaviors are happening because a need is unmet. And when a need is met, behavior stuff happening. So the need here for ODD, obvious one for me is the need to have control. So how do we deal with ODD type behaviors? We find a way to give kids some control, but still get them to do what we want them to do. So there are three things I like my go-tos and if these don't work, I'll go to other things. Um, but I talk about a lot of things around ODD and control in the course I created on um, the five needs areas. I think it's like the emotional regulation course. Uh, that talks about the five needs areas. So what do we do to give a child control? 
often I will use the strategy I see. So instead of telling a child what to do, I will instead use the phrase I see and state what I see. So I see like a mess on the table. I want them to clean up. I could take away their power and control and say, you need to clean that up or clean that up. Or I could say, I see Legos that belong in a bin. I see papers all over a desk. I see a jacket on the floor. I see a pencil is not in your hands, you know, whatever it may be, but using, I see, instead of telling them what to do and it allow it sets up a problem for them to solve and they get to choose how they solve it. So it gives them the power and control over how to fix or get to, you know, the thing that you want them to do. The other is choices. I know that's not a new strategy, but choices in terms of when, where, or how to do something. And the choices must, 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 must be fair and motivating to the child. If you offer a choice and a threat, it's not going to work. If you offer a choice that you like and a choice they like, it's not going to work. If you offer two choices that you like, definitely not going to work. I see this fail all the time because people don't offer two fair and motivating choices. So really think about your choice options and, and think about, are they fair? Are they motivating? Are they neutral? When, where, or how to do something. The last one is I might try and give a child a job, especially a young child. I just kind of distract them, but give them the sense of like ownership and control and power by giving a job to them that they can do independently on their own. That makes them feel in control of maybe a transition or a time of day or whatever it may be. And sometimes your job that I just make up out of nowhere. (laughs) The one I made up for a child struggling to transition inside from outside freeze finder. He had a special spot. He stood in line. His job was to watch everyone line up. They lined up in a freeze position and once everyone was lined up, he chose the best freeze position. Once he got into the classroom, the teacher would meet with him for like five seconds, say who had the best freeze position. And then the teacher would go praise that child, the freeze finder, like just made that up. But it helped the child to get inside every day. And then when you know the idea and the concept of it got old, we changed it up. And it was like, <laughs> line up like this theme or that theme or this place or that place. And, and he got to choose uh, the best of the best for that particular theme. So just a few ideas to address ODD. Again, there there are plenty more options here. These are just a few, the ones I use most commonly, and I go into more detail in our regulation course. To wrap up the show, I am going to share with you our tried at home tip, which is co-regulation. So what is co-regulation? It's essentially when a child is too dysregulated to regulate or to breathe or to do whatever they need to do to calm down. They're in such an elevated state that we can't reason with them because we have to regulate before we reason. So actually the sequence should be relate to them, then regulate, then reason. So when I have kids who are not doing what I want them to do, or they're really elevated, I will co-regulate, meaning I will essentially model what I want them to do. Like I will act like I am, and maybe I am in a really elevated state because of them. I might model breathing. I might model asking for a break and taking a walk. I might model getting a drink. I might like verbally speak out my sequence for calming down, but I am co-regulating. I'm kind of regulating with them and modeling and showing them how to regulate because your brains have these awesome things called mirror neurons where we start to do the things uh, that we see from other people. So think about like when you spend a lot of time with someone, you sort of kind of pick up their habits or your <laughs> weird isms. This is because of our mirror neurons and it works the same for regulation. So that is it for today's episode of returning to us podcast. Remember our try to home tip, 
which is co-regulation. And if you would like me to answer your question on a future show, email me at podcast at thebehaviorhub.com, or you can send me a text 717-693-7744. And lock in what you learned today, because I gave you a lot of sciencey stuff. Easy way to do this, comment below or even leave a review of what your biggest takeaway was or what you're going to apply or what you have applied from this episode already. And um, subscribe to learn more ways to hack that brain of yours. Until next episode, I am Lauren Spiegelmeyer. Thank you for joining me.